Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Be the miners. Sure, they're like three years old. Miners, not miners. If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. <laughs> I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down we dead. We women who aren't afraid to fight, to stand up for our dignity. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There are no colored bathrooms in this building and a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. Of evolution has taught us it's that life will not be contained. Life finds a way. Words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. Hello and welcome. This is Bite the Pen. I am Jen Hansen, and sitting across from me in a different location is Miss Charlotte Martinez, who is hopefully feeling better. How are you doing, Charlotte? Oh, I'm wonderful. This <laughs> pandemic is great. It catches oh up God. with some of us. You can't escape it. Mm-hmm. Feeling fun. <laughs> I think we could all use a little of Mulan's inner strength. Aww. So let's continue our discussion of our source materials. Indeed. So we went over the ballad slash poem of Mulan and the Tang Dynasty, which is the song of Mulan, not to be confused with the ballad. <laughs> And the awesome prime minister and women and all that fun stuff. But we're moving past that now. We're going to go to another dynasty, the Ming dynasty. Tell us about that. Because I sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I don't. Oh, I was like, you totally do. <laughs> I'm literally reading your notes. So. <laughs> In the timeline, that's around 1368 through 1644. And this is our first play as a source versus a poem or a song. So it is lengthier. There's more details. There's more character. Of course, there's more songs. Like we said, the Chinese were really big on singing, which is why they probably call this more of an opera than a play, now that I think about mm. it. But in the Western term, it's kind of a play. Or like an operetta, maybe? What's the difference between that and an opera? I think in an opera... It's like full-blown opera, but in an op an operetta, it's more like sing-talking oh. as opposed to like belting singing. Do you know what I mean? I think I see. Yeah. Well, the instructions in this particular play had moments of, you know, Mulan sings aria, and then it's a paragraph of, it looks like a monologue, but it's, it's sung, and then it's back to dialogue. Sure. So what would you categorize that as? I guess that'd be an opera. If she's like, if she's doing an aria, that's, I think, an opera. Yeah. Where an operetta is like more like a musical, except there is really no just regular talking. It's all kind of like in some sort of musical. Like Joseph form. and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I haven't seen it. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I say, it, I say it like that because we performed that and it was exactly what you said. Even the narration is singing. I got you. That's, I think that's an operetta. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. See? Learning things. <laughs> what are we talking about? Operetta. The Ming Dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> so this play, we'll call it for now, is called The Heroine Mulan Goes to War in Her Father's Place. I have a couple issues. Please <laughs> tell me. First of all, heroine, no. <laughs> Title-wise, way too long. <laughs> Not even long in the fun way. So no, that I think those are my two complaints. 
I'm going to blame that a lot in, uh, you know, lost in translation sort of thing. Mm. But I agree on both accounts. Thank you. (laughs) And this is a 20-page play. The author was Shu Wei. He wrote it around 1500. Well, this says 1580 AD. And unfortunately, it was only discovered after his death. And there's no record of it being performed. But he was pretty well known the ming dynasty was prosperous time and a lot of poets Mm. artists thrived and they had a new take on life i'll say entertainment reigned and confucianism was like totally yesterday (laughs) okay so like airheads yeah totally (laughs) so the summary are we ready yeah it's still set in the northern Wei era that was like around 400 a.d Mulan's father is conscripted to stop a rebellion led by the villain, Leopard Skin. Mulan decides to take his place. Most of Act 1 is Mulan singing arias as she prepares at home for this. She buys supplies, she unbinds her feet, ouch, and she changes into a male uniform. Yes, ouch. We'll talk about that (laughs) detail as well. Cool. Act 2 begins in the heat of battle as Mulan is ordered to capture Leopard Skin, which she does, and she is awarded with a cap and girdle, and then offered the title of Imperial Secretariat, which she turns down. On her way home, Mulan sings more. She's wondering especially who is it that really captured Leopard Skin, because if she was in disguise, then maybe it wasn't really her doing the work. The men who travel with her are singing too, but they're wondering why haven't they seen Mulan pee? Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I guess it reads more funny than anything. That's good. (laughs) Mulan arrives home. She changes back into her female clothing and her comrades are shocked. I mean, shocked. She's then wedded to a scholar who wears his own cap and girdle while Mulan, now a wife, does not wear hers. The end. Could you, like, feel my eyes rolling? I did. I felt it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot about this one. And just because we've been doing this so far, I'm going to read how this one ends and we'll talk about it later. Yeah. I was a woman till I was 17, was a man for 12 more years. Who was it really occupied Black Mountain Top? The affairs of the world are all such a mess. Muddling boy and girl is what this play does best. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> it was a little fun ending there yeah it was a little dr seuss meets weird sexism <laughs> so we get a few extra details fortunately or unfortunately this is the play that reignites the popularity of mulan and it brings it to the public attention again and the reason why it's redone so many times afterwards is because of this play like i said he's well known so maybe that's a good thing maybe that's a bad thing and even even though they didn't think it was produced while he was alive. That's interesting. Yeah, it made it sound like it was part of a series of other plays that were very successful. Hmm. Mulan was sort of wrapped up in this quartet thing that he had written. I guess that means the others weren't performed then? I don't understand that. Oh. Yeah, because that's, I mean, that's like reading, everybody reading a film script and everybody knowing it, but it not being made. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that that happened. Right. And maybe because Mulan was already so, you know, it didn't go away, but it wasn't being produced in any big way. Right. Maybe because it was well known and after he died, what happens today, stuff makes a comeback after a person's death. 
Interesting. But I didn't read that. You see, they uh, waited, what, 500 years or something before they redid it, and Disney waited 20 <laughs> years. It's just, that's all I'm saying. It's <laughs> a very good point. <laughs> well, to be fair, before this dynasty, they were occupied by a foreign power. And after this dynasty, they would be occupied by a foreign power. So maybe in times of turmoil, it's less likely that artists would create such popular stuff. I'm not. I'm just making a generalization, sense. but like all the great art is made during or is formed during the turbulent times, and then sort of shown to the world in the less turbulent times. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> that's totally it. Well, let me like word it better. <laughs> So the two new details right off the bat that we get is a surname, Hua, Hua Mulan, right? Oh, if you've heard that right. before. H-U-A. It means flower. Oh, and if you're curious, Mulan means magnolia. So her name is broad flower and then specific flower. Interesting. I like it. It sounds pretty. I feel like maybe there's something about flowers. <laughs> nah. That's just a stab in the dark. You're reading into that. <laughs> And then the second element is marriage, which was common in Ming mm. Dynasty plays to have the happily ever after ending. Interesting. So in this case, she's married versus just being praised as she comes home. Mm. And like I said, in the context of the historic timeline, the Ming Dynasty was pretty stable. It did see a decline of intellectualism, whereas before, you know, virtue meant that you would be a morally upstanding person by... Paying attention to your studies, if you were a military man, well, then you just stuck with the military. You know, there's a lot of discipline in history up until then. So this era was interesting because they had questions about individualism. They had questions about identity. And this was to the advantage, I think, of gender as well, even though it wasn't a great time for women. It wasn't a terrible time for women. Maybe I should put it that way. That's like all we can get. That's so far in history. Maybe Greek occasionally, but... The most we can ask for is not terrible. Not terrible. <laughs> but Xu Wei, the author, was part of that group of poets who were very curious about humanity. Who are we? How do we present ourselves to the world? What does gender mean? Are they deep-seated things in us or are they just roles that we play in society? Mm. Does it matter? Of course, it's easy for him to ask these questions because he's a man. <laughs> but it's nice to go from such a filial theme to an identity theme. Yeah, because the filial, that's like being true to your family and like doing what's best to keep up your virtue and your family versus who you are as an individual that's like the complete opposite exactly of the, and to some degree yeah i mean don't get me wrong the plot is still the same right nothing has changed her internal identity and sense of freedom isn't altered in any way she is playing a role she goes from putting on the feminine to putting on the masculine to putting the feminine back on mm -hmm. so that hasn't changed but his concentration for the play is in those transitions which is interesting because he mm. makes it humorous entertaining unfortunately he makes it erotic which <laughs> assumes that it was made for the male audience of course and then things like the foot binding <laughs> what do you think about that <laughs> god awful I don't remember if this related or not, but there was one version where somebody is washing her feet 
and she didn't or they wanted to or she wanted to wash her feet but they like wouldn't show she couldn't show them her feet because they would see that they were bound right absolutely at one time that Mm -hmm. was one of the early film versions okay and that makes sense i mean even before this time women's feet are such a key culture thing for china the more feminine and petite they are the more fragile you're considered the more valuable you're considered Right. The highest valued women were portrayed as being the most uh, fragile. Absolutely. Which makes sense. I mean, but what a tech, excuse me, everybody, if you're Chinese or if you respect the culture, but they really know what they're doing as far as suppression. Because feet are the things that are touching the damn ground. The things that you do to run away, to stand in a situation, are just tied to your feet. So to have that be the thing that's bound first and foremost, it's like they knew exactly what they were doing. I mean, it's it's very similar to skin color. Like, well, even now, there are lots of very racist commercials that come out in the Eastern countries where women are trying to lighten their skin because if you have lighter skin, that's more desirable. And I think that all feeds into the same bullshit, you know, oh, which is, you know, the male gaze and patriarchy and oppression and disempowering people whenever you can to under the guise of control. Yeah. So I really don't think it's just China that needs to feel shamed. (laughs) It's like the entire world. (laughs) For Uh, sure. Even now, you know. Absolutely. I just had never thought of it this much before until reading through all of the history. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of cool because, I mean, it's not cool, but it's kind of cool because it's very obvious. It's very hard to hide that, to be like, the best women there are are the fragile ones. Like, that's a very see-through which has its benefits you're like oh okay i know exactly where you're coming from thanks for trying not to be sneaky about it (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly and in the play that's like one of the things that she considers the most which is oh i have to unbind my feet in order to join the army because she wouldn't be able to fight otherwise and the play actually takes a lot of time in this action and it would have been considered erotic because women didn't show their feet to men. Historically, it's not accurate because at this time or the time he sets it in, women didn't bind feet yet. But, hmm. you know, for his current contemporary audience, it was like a thing. It was a big thing for the play. When they are unbound, she calls her feet floating boats. But it's okay because she has a family potion that'll turn them petite again when she's ready to come back and be married. Interesting. Quick fix. Hardly a inconvenience. <laughs> <laughs> Super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So they couldn't show their feet to to men or just like outside of their family? Both. All the above. I just got to say, those lesbians, they're like cleaning up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's. Again, he's credited for bringing it back into the spotlight, but what he focuses on is kind of a shame because, you know, a lot of that is, well, actually maybe, and it also says that she practiced combat. She learned how to ride a horse. I doubt that that was shown a lot in the play, though. It probably focused on the more comedic aspects, including the comedic aspects of cross-dressing. If that was a taboo before, it's probably brought up to say, hey, society, we're rebelling against all of that. There's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) Right. I mean, for historians and sociologists and anthropologists, there's a lot to unpack there. Next, we get some more specific characters, which we haven't seen before. A villain, leopard skin. Very interesting. Were leopards a big thing in China? 
I don't think it was a good thing. I think it has something to do with the nomadic clans. Okay. It was more of a barbaric thing. That's kind of what I get from it. When you say it, it sounds a little cringy. And I think that's why. Because there's like some sort of strange, weird connotation to that when you call somebody that. It also reminded me of the jaguar. What is she? In the new Wonder Woman film? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jaguar? Cheetah? Cheetah. Yeah. Cheetah girl. Cheetah. Or cheetah woman. Yeah. Cheetah girl. <laughs> it's just cheetah. <laughs> oh, it's just cheetah. Good. That's kind of the image I got, but I don't think that's what they're going for. No, I mean, or maybe, because like you said, there's a lot of animal imagery that we don't know about from China. So maybe a leopard yeah. was a strong thing, but maybe a bad thing. Right. We have to look into mm-hmm. that. Sorry. Another sidebar. Isn't bad oh no that's a tiger who's the bad guy in kung fu panda oh yeah is he's it a, a tiger tiger or is he a leopard Ooh, can't remember now <laughs> super important i wonder if like tiger's like the positive mirror of the shadow which is the leopard i don't know i'm just conjecture i have no idea interesting I have no idea. <laughs> if somebody wants to email us later and be like this is the history of the tiger and the leopard for china so please i would love to read that (laughs) (laughs) and it's interesting because the villains in this case are bandits versus a whole clan and the author made a conscious decision to have mulan's family be part of the nomadic tribes so we're not talking about north and south anymore. I think we're just talking about a specific northern clan who happen to have some bandits making trouble. And the leader of the bandits is this person called Leopard Skin. Oh, mm-hmm. gotcha. Meaning the scale isn't as big as the other versions. He's more like, oh, it's just happening among the, the clan. Which happened. A lot of clans fought each other. Is Oh, God. I should remember this. But is this this isn't the one with the two female characters, right? Not yet. Okay, because that's what it reminded me of, like having like a bandit and the bandit's wife and like then there's like a there's a couple. Yeah, okay. Oh, man. Yeah, those are the novels. The novels get super intricate and soap opery and oh, it's going to be great. Kind of awesome. (laughs) That's coming up next. Let's get through this play. No, it doesn't seem as intriguing as the novels. (laughs) The only other thing I was going to mention, they have a general ping, the name ping if you're a westerner Mm. comes into play in the disney versions it's just a name that mulan gives herself but uh, if you're wondering where that name came from there's a general ping in this version who commands mulan to Mm. capture leopard skin and no there's no romance between the general ping and mulan okay (laughs) (laughs) and other than that the only other character that speaks a lot is mulan's mother surprisingly interesting it's usually mulan and her butting heads at the beginning Mm -hmm. And then when she returns, it's like her mother asking her, well, you're still a virgin, right? We can still marry you off, right? <sighs> oh, mom. <laughs> and, like, I don't even know how that worked. Like, couldn't you just, like, say you were a virgin? And, like, if they're expecting anything in particular, that's sort of something that can happen by accident in other situations. So I just, I don't know. I don't understand how that works. If it's just, like, honor-based or what? There's a lot of metaphors and similes that they use to talk about chastity. Even before she leaves, she's making a promise to her mother. And then when she comes back, she's like, well, I'm as pure as the rain waters in this lotus leaf. More flower metaphor. There's a lot of that going on. Well, flowers and women have been, that's, yeah, that's been used for a long time. So that makes sense. 
But there's also, I mean, surprisingly, he also mentioned some female warriors from Chinese history. A lot of those metaphors come into the play, too, when she's ready to fight and she's preparing to fight. But again, that's that's only at the beginning when she's ready to become a soldier. Otherwise, those get lost when she's back. Interesting. So the message, what do we think about that? He's asking questions about gender roles, playing a part versus being loyal or being, you know, it's not a propaganda. There's no war going on. So it's not a call to arms at all. It's more like, well, what do you think about how do you present yourself to the world? And do you feel like you're playing a part when you're playing your gender? And what what do you think? It's really hard to tell without reading it. But if I were to assume the worst, which is kind of what I would do in this situation, I would imagine that this is him being a little bit of a shit and just being like, see why this doesn't work or see why this is bad. I'm leaving it up to you, but look how it's bad. You know, that kind of bullshit. I see. That's what I get from it. But if it were a positive thing, I think, you know, it would be honest inquiry to individuals or a community at the greater level that, hey, is this where we're at? Is this where we want to stay? And I just feel like if he had done that, there would be more of that feeling in it. But again, I haven't read it, so maybe there is, and I just don't know. You're right, and we're going off of a translation here, and it it reads all very artificial. His questions of identity are very disassociated, Mm -hmm. and it is more from the eyes of a play actor. I'm putting on this role just to do this because it's needed. I'm putting this back on because it's expected. Not a great reason. (laughs) Yeah, and, and, and it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful even in this translation, but the way she wonders about who it is who actually did all of these acts. By the way, none of this is, takes any effort on her part, which is very surprising. We're not focused on any of that as her character. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm training. I know how to ride a horse now. I know how to handle a spear and an arrow. I'm good. I captured the bad guy. That's fine. And I'm riding back home, and she's wondering, this is her own aria here. She's wondering, well, if I was in disguise as a man, does that mean I really captured the bandit and won the war? Yeah. I, what a, it does. Right? What an <laughs> odd thing to be thinking about. It's pretty strange. If it were reversed, it would mean something. If it were a dude dressed up as a woman or even, uh, yeah, just portraying a woman in some way and he was asking those questions of himself, I think that has a completely different context. But to have somebody who's already in a position without power having that question, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. It's like, yeah, girl, that's all you. Why would you think it wasn't? <laughs> right. And we don't get it until the novels and until the movies that there's some details to confirm that it was her personal character, her personal strength and efforts that made the war. We don't get any of that yet. We're just curious if putting on a role means anything. No, it does not. In this play, it does not mean a thing because she returns to exactly mm-hmm. who she was. There's no change there. She didn't learn anything. Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> what we Westerners find so cathartic in stories is not happening yet in this legend. So mm-hmm. we just got to be patient because it's coming. <laughs> Good. Oh, and then the fact, this is the last thing I'm going to say about it. But the fact that the scholar she's engaged to while she's at war, he's awarded a cap and girdle for his... I mean, for some reason, he's learning something important, I think. There's some sort of, like, scholarly thing going on. So when they're married, he's wearing his rewards on his person. And the same cap and girdle that Mulan was awarded as a soldier, she does not get to put on. She's just now the bride. (laughs) Oh, God. It's really kind of sad. (sighs) It's very... that. See, that right there makes me think that he's 
being like, yeah, this is how it should be. Right. That's all about that one. Any good. <laughs> we're done Let's with move the play. On. <laughs> good, because now we're getting into the novels. These are fun. <laughs> She's literally jumping up and down. <laughs> yes, I am. We obviously didn't read any entire translation of these novels, but what we got instead was summaries in English that Jen and I read through. So we're just going off of plot points, basically. But they're fun. They're still fun to read and imagine if we could imagine a novel. Yeah. I also don't see why some of these can't be translated, but no. I guess if there's no demand for it or I don't know. We've talked about this like... It could end up being really bad, and it was better just to have the plot points and fill in the rest ourselves, but I still feel like it would tell us a lot if we were able to to read those ourselves. Agreed. And I think somebody's working on one of these translations, is the way I understand it, for English readers. Cool. And then it's like you got to look at the translator and how will they know the language and do they know the context of things and does it make sense in the English language? Like, what's the relation? It's, it's a huge thing, people sometimes don't appreciate how difficult it can be. Such an art. Yeah, it really is. But for now, what we got, yes, what we've read, <laughs> there's three novels that we selected, and they're all from the same dynasty, which is the Qing dynasty around 1644 through 1912. We're getting pretty close to modern times here. So the first one is called The Romance of Sawi and Tong, and it's a hundred chapter novel by Chu something. I can't pronounce his last name, unfortunately, but his first name is Chu. Hey, Chu. <laughs> Ren Hao. R-E-N-H-U-O. However you say that. If you're Chinese, correct us. We'd like to know. Please. Yes, please. <laughs> so he wrote this novel in 1695, just to put it in perspective, because this is a long period of time. And unfortunately, he only dedicated a section of the Mulan story to his novel. It's like a few chapters that Mulan is actually a character in it. But the summary of her section, we begin in the final years of the Sawi dynasty. In the timeline, it's much sooner before the Qing dynasty. But at this time, rebellions were breaking out between the Turks, actually. And they did occupy China at that time. In the story, Mulan's father is Turkish. Her mother is Chinese, so she's a biracial teen. Awesome. I know. It's a great detail. Mulan is initially loyal to the barbarian Khan, in this case, the nomadic clans. She even saves his life. Oh my gosh, it's such a weird... Anyway, yeah, so just keep in mind, she saves the Khan's life in the war. But at that time, she's also captured by a Chinese princess who befriends her. This is where we get the princess character. And the friendship between Mulan and her is so fascinating. And it comes to play again in the future. Yeah. So after spending time with her, Mulan changes her mind about the war. And she sets off on a mission to bring her family to live with the princess. She wants to sort of bring them back to the, the Han Chinese side, which is the, the native Chinese side. The Khan, however, intercepts Mulan and tries to take her by force as his concubine. Even though she saved his life. <sighs> It is revealed that Mulan is a woman at this point. So the Khan's like, oh, ha ha, you know, you're the soldier who saved my life. But now I know that you're a woman. So obviously you're going to be my concubine. Mm. So when Mulan realizes that the Khan will not allow her to refuse, she commits suicide on her father's grave. The end. Trigger warning. <laughs> God. 
again, this is only a section of a really long novel, and the protagonists are not Mulan. There are other figures in this bigger war. And it reads more like a Romeo and Juliet to me. There's a lot of passing of notes and betraying of people in order to marry the person that they love. Mistaken identity tropes in here too. We're getting into a lot of modern motifs, which is fun. But in Mulan's case, not so much. I mean, just from the short summary that we read, I was bored. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just because it's so many names and people moving around and like people miss they're not sure who i'm just like i can't my brain can't but when it got to the mulan part i was like okay i'm back in right temporarily (laughs) so i'm glad there was a summary she reads so much more interesting though than other characters that are around her i mean the princess is fascinating but she's obsessed with this other dude on the other side of the war so mulan's acting like a messenger for her and All the while, she's still trying to bring her family to the good side. It's a lot of jumbled, like, oh, God, okay, we're changing sides again. This guy killed that guy, meanwhile, which means that the princess's father is now at jeopardy. And, oh, the girls are going to try to save him. There's a lot of stuff going on. But it's great that we have female heroes in all of this. That's true. And I think think you said this, but I just want to make sure that I'm, this is the right one, where when she comes back, her father has already died. Yes. Right. And her mother's remarried. Yes. Which is, ouch. I know. <laughs> Nobody could have written her a letter. I mean, that just, that's, <laughs> that's when like bury your gaze comes back. Where I'm just like, oh, this is painful. Okay. It's time for your punishment for doing what you've done. Oh, gosh. You know? Yeah. To be put in a situation where you've accomplished these great things in wartime, returning home, and the fact that you've revealed your identity instead of being rewarded you get cornered by your own ruler into this really awful situation and in order to be remembered in any sort of way at this point in the Qing dynasty you have to commit suicide you have to die and I'm sure it would have been the same if she was killed in battle she would have been martyred but in any case it's it's death that's important at this point to be a legend to be a female legend I should say you know and I think if she had died for the cause died in the war i think that would have been more respectful to like a soldier you know that's how soldiers or hardened soldiers tend to think like i'm gonna go down with my company absolutely and the fact that i mean i know suicide is very different it's a very different concept in chinese culture especially in historical uh, senses because they have many different meanings behind why somebody would commit suicide and in what fashion and this was painful especially because becoming a concubine i do feel like there's a lot of punishment that goes on because if mulan was actually male and she went home or he went home and his dad had died his mom remarried he'd been like well that sucks like i really loved my father and i did this for him but i guess i'll like take the job or you know work for the emperor or maybe i'll go back to to being a farmer you know what i mean like there would be so many choices there but that's just obviously not a right that a woman would have in that situation so it's like okay be a prostitute for somebody you saved by the way die in battle or commit suicide and she's too good of a soldier and a general to die in war apparently (laughs) and she doesn't really want to be a prostitute which i don't blame her for this is really sad and you point out an excellent 
topic, which is the Chinese values of suicide versus the Western values of suicide. And it all comes back to philosophy and religion. I've already mentioned that Confucianism is valued by relationships and loyalty to countries, to families. So, you know, in Western culture, it would be a sin to commit suicide. All life is valued, right, by Christianity. So it's never praised, it's never honorable. But in Eastern terms, especially in China, for females, there's very little option. You know, widows did it. They did it to their own kids if there was too many daughters. And Mulan knew this for this version of the story, which is if she became a concubine, then she would lose that filial honor. And the emperor knew that too. If he took her and made her into this other thing, she wouldn't be renowned for this extraordinary thing that she did. That would have been forgotten. So instead of let that happen, she honors her father, her dead father. She goes to his grave and says, I did what you asked me to do, but this is where it ends because I can't do what he's asking and I have no other choice. So the honorable thing to do now is just commit suicide because this is how I will be remembered. So can I offer my rewrite? <laughs> yes. My rewrite would be that she fakes her death so that she can become a legend but that she dons the male thing again and goes someplace else and then can change back into female if she wants to right. and lives life as a different person. <sighs> yeah. Wouldn't that be great? It would be great. <laughs> I think historically, a woman who's been taught all these values already wouldn't be able to live with herself in doing something yeah. deceiving like that. But that version is great. I mean, that's even worse. I mean, you know what I mean? That like it's accurate but it's awful right you know that we can be so just have so many things forced on us as people not even just as women but especially as women yes and to internalize that i i don't think she needed to die to become a legend not at all and it's a hard purchase like i just don't buy it this is not the only time we're going to see the suicide ending it'll reoccur during this era and in other eras it sort of just becomes a thing. Luckily, that'll change in, in some other versions, as we'll see. But this is the first big public display of the first suicide of Mulan, rather than any sort of marriage or praise and coming home. But that's for a good reason, because the context, we're going to talk about what's happening in Chinese history at this time, which is not oh. prosperity, unfortunately. This is a time of invasion and gentrification of the Han Chinese, mm. and they mm. are called the Manchu. The Manchu people have invaded. Uh, surprisingly, they're not a nomadic clan. They are historically sedentary. They do agriculture and they're pretty stable in that way. But there's something that happened there. Something about this leader who wanted to take revenge on his father's death. It was very complicated. I didn't even read that much into it. Needless to say that they were successful in a lot of conquering of China. Enough so that they lasted quite a while in occupation, infiltration, invasion. A lot of the Han Chinese culture was changed because of them. And actually, they changed a lot for the Han Chinese culture. There was After a while, there was a pretty good exchange, but the Han Chinese were just furious at this time. This is where that cutting of hair comes into play for the men, especially. The Han Chinese men never cut their hair, but the Manchu leaders and soldiers were forcing them to under penalty of death. Although surprisingly, the Manchu women had a lot more freedom and power 
And some of that was rubbing off too on the Han Chinese women. But ooh, man, the Han Chinese men just hated that. They they were like, no, 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 you continue to bind those feet. I don't care if the Manchu women don't do it. You're going to continue to do it. So there was like some good and bad in all of this. <laughs> but the novels were, I mean, all three of these novels we're talking about are using Mulan as a metaphor to fight back against the Manchu rule. So that's important to keep in mind. It is a very much call to arms for every version of these. I wrote here that people found solace in the virtuous life of Mulan. You're under tyrannical power, and there's this legend that keeps everybody positive and hopeful. It would make sense that they would be reading these novels, even though she has to die. Because it was her father who was, well, in this, in the setting of the story, he's Turkish because they're putting it in the war between the Turks and the Chinese. So the fact that she commits suicide on her father's grave, who was Turkish, but she also, and he didn't know this right before he died, she also sort of turns the table because she meets this benevolent Chinese princess who changes her mind. A friendship like that is a great way to change your mind about something. And there's a lot of that going on in the novel, a lot of changing of sides based on who you love rather than who you're loyal to. I say I say love. I mean, it's I I'm assuming in the novel in the Chinese novel, it reads that, you know, the friendship was they were sworn sisters at some point. So the friendship's so strong that that's what's happening. But some some commentators were saying like, well, this maybe might have been a bisexual thing because they play into that later as well, but not obviously or with any sort of intent. But and when I read that, I was like, oh, interesting. I wonder if that changes any of the motives or intents of characters. It's only a few years later. This is around 1800 where somebody else attempts a complete novel. Well, it's mainly about the Mulan legend, but the main character is not even Mulan in this next source. The main character is her grandfather who is a brand new concept. There is no grandfather previously to this. He, the author does like four generations before Mulan instead. And this one has 32 chapters, also unpublished with an unknown author. It does sound a little bit fascinating though. And I'll tell you why after I read the summary, because it, it goes in a very different direction. But that's the only thing I think it has going for it, to be honest. But this one's called The Complete Account of the Extraordinary Mulan. Again, it's around 1800. This one's also set at the end of the Sawi di dynasty, which is the Turks invasion. Again, the Turk invasion is a metaphor for the Manchu invasion. They're just using it as a template because it seems to work out pretty well. Mulan comes from the Chinese city of Hubei. The novel includes, like I said, well, only three generations of backstory, as well as a supernatural element of magic. As a child, Mulan's grandfather teaches her mystical and secret fighting techniques and leaves her his occult book when he dies. So when Mulan takes her father's place in this war with the Turks, Mulan not only assists in ending the war, but she battles a sorcerer using what her grandfather has taught her and receives prestigious titles. When she reveals she's a woman, the emperor deems her a princess, and she returns home to raise her now orphaned siblings. Later, the emperor falls prey to gossip, and to clear her name, Mulan commits suicide. 
Consumed with remorse, the emperor erects a monument in Mulan's memory because suicide is what it takes to be remembered. Always. <laughs> again, the context is the exact same. We're still under Manchu tyranny. And again, we don't know the author, but it's written exactly like a call to arms as well. Except rather than a call to arms for the army and for soldiers for fighting, it's taking a spiritual approach and a, a pacifist approach. Because there's very little actual fighting done in the novel. And instead, we focus on Mulan's grandfather as a, a scholar. He's sort of taking in all these ancient martial arts and ancient knowledge. And while the war is going on, he's not acting aggressively. He's acting very serenely instead. And he's passing down all that knowledge to Mulan. There is also, again, we don't, we don't quite know because we haven't read the novel, but there was a lot of mention of separating from society, of learning magic without actually using it, indirect action, changing policy. Again, which is really interesting because at the time, Confucianism was sort of dwindling again. But all of that spiritual insight is very actually Taoist. We haven't talked about this, but Taoism was another religion and philosophy happening at the same time in China. But Taoism was based in a feminine nature perspective, that everything has a flow, has a time. And to go against it is going against the way, the way of life, the way things should be. Amen. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't know if it ever mentions any of that in the novel, honestly, but that's what Taoism was, is. So I have a feeling, I have a sneaky suspicion that that's what the grandfather was into. Interesting. And the magic that they're talking about is instead the magic of being one with nature, of knowing internal peace versus trying to conquer things on the outside. And Mulan demonstrates a lot of that. And I think you mentioned the fox before. There's this... I don't know if it's a character. It's some sort of evil thing. Fox spirit. Fox spirits. Which in one of the videos that we uh, watched in our research, you know, that's sort of, that's more similar to something than a witch. A sp an evil spirit, a fox spirit in particular, would be something that would be familiar in Eastern culture as opposed to in the Disney live remake where they call them witches, which didn't exist as much as or isn't as familiar as something like a fox spirit and the fox spirit is very interesting i mean it he kind of comes and goes and shape shifts and it's something that she has to keep like rebattling which i liked i thought that was she has like a nemesis you know yeah and it acts as an internal shadow it sounds like it's not just an exterior yes. enemy but it's this enemy that's inside her head Yes. There's also a line that I think is very important, and I quote, a wise camel. Now, I don't know how a camel is wise or not, but I'm really interested in how they would be wise. And I think it was you that was telling me that, like, camels were easier to import than horses. Indeed. And they would last longer than horses, right? Because they have all that fat. So I, you know, if, if you know any wise camels or know what that means exactly, I'd really like to know because... <laughs> That I took like eight lines of notes, and that was the one that I circled. So, <laughs> the wise camel, the clever fox. <laughs> I've got a, <laughs> I've got a fox spirit and a wise camel. I, I don't know. Oh, 
that would be so fascinating to read. I would skip all the grandfather stuff unless it was spiritually <laughs> insightful. And maybe it is, but I would want to know Mulan's story out of everything. This one definitely stands out in terms of uh, reality or using fantasy in some way. And also reminds me of the retelling of Mulan from the other book we read. I can't remember. Maxine something. Kingston. Kingston, which is like a three-part. It's We'll talk about it some more. But her retelling of Mulan feels in this realm. Yeah, that's a good point. This is the first novel where we see any sort of supernatural element blatantly. And even spirits really didn't come into play all that much until now. Yeah. I didn't see any phoenixes, did you? I did not see a phoenix or a witch. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just checking. It's just the fox, people. Just a fox. <laughs> Which she defeats, right? Part of the summary says that she does vanquish the fox. Maybe not even in a physical way, but maybe it was a mental way. That would be really or interesting. Or both. Or both, yes. Yeah. Yeah, because he kind of like hops into a different body. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, she defeats him, he leaves, but then he reappears again, but he's inside a body of this other bad guy. And that justifies yeah. her probably physically killing that person. Right. Wow. Yeah. This would have been super different than all the other th versions so far. Yeah. And it's too bad that it ends so horribly. I mean, this is the one where I was definitely like, bury your gaze. Like, this is in terms of disempowering women and punishment for not being part of the norm. This is a big one. Exactly. And it's just super disappointing. And, you know, it, if we're talking about the final message for this one, it sounds like it is very like a pacifist message in action. Uh, inner spirituality i mean it's not saying that they shouldn't resist the manchu or they shouldn't resist the changing of culture it's not it doesn't end like you said it doesn't end well and it doesn't say much about mulan's change of inner character although i mean i read it like she has this she almost has this out of spirit experience before she dies mm. like her resolve has nothing to do with the men around her she knows that they make mistakes and if I'm reading it from like that spiritual sp perspective, that she's reached a, a level of clairvoyance that she knows a whole lot more than everybody else. And this is okay for her to die like this because she's satisfied with herself. I'm just throwing it all in there. I bet you that's not what it reads like, but that's how I interpret it. I mean, it's an improvement for sure to be under the belief that she had a choice in this, which she did. But still, I mean, you know, like that choice was sort of she didn't really have it you know what i mean exactly but i like that interpretation i i really enjoyed reading what was going on because of the fox spirit and because of like some of the supernatural elements so i wanted to like the ending so yeah still not there yet the though end, <laughs> we're still on the suicide part okay yeah any anything else about that source i wrote pretty good life until suicide <laughs> yeah it it, I mean, to be fair, she lives a good amount of life between the war, the end of war and her needed suicide because all these people are telling the emperor these rumors. So she does have a little bit of a life here. And she's, I don't think she gets married at that time. She's raising her siblings. She's like the mother now. So it sounds like an okay life. <laughs> and doesn't, doesn't, I think this is the one where she goes back and she does something. She works for the emperor. She does something like work independent work that's true which is really cool i think that's why i wrote pretty good life <laughs> and she's raising siblings which i guess is very like filial 
but I kind of like that, she, like you said, she's not married. It's not her own children. She's raising other kids, which I really, she's got like that Snow White quality that we saw in one of the older films where the kids like her and she's like showing them kind of good role model stuff. She is who I'd want teaching my kids and that she gets to work and kind of go back and forth and decide what she's doing. Like all of that is awesome. An excellent point. This is the first time we actually see an acceptance of a role after she's revealed she's a woman. Yeah. Oh, man, you're right. I totally forgot about that detail. And then she kills herself. Yeah. Of course, that ending is inappropriate. (laughs) The only other time we see her accepting or we see the job still as an option is the final Mm -hmm. live action Mulan. The one good decision. Yeah. The very, yeah, the very final thing they decided to do, which was progressive. One. (laughs) so sad okay the final source the final novel are we ready for this thank you for hanging in there we're almost done so 1850 a novel called the fierce and filial girl from northern way the author is jang shaw okay this is gonna be a longer summary are we ready it's really interesting though so listen up this is a version that Combines all the previous versions. Yeah. So this might sound very familiar. We return to the era of Northern Way, where Black Mountain bandits seek to overthrow Northern Way power. A 17-year-old Mulan lives again in Hubei and is engaged to a scholar. When the conscription comes around, Mulan asks her parents' permission to take her father's place, only to be denied. But when she holds a blade to her throat, they concede. She displays great prowess while performing military exercises and is quickly appointed to command by General Ping. Hey. And she leads a battalion to assist the vice commander-in-chief. To cover the amount of men he lost in battle, the vice commander slanders Mulan. I guess he wants to, like, demote her or something. I'm not sure. Mulan, however, continues to win battles. The vice commander then suggests that Mulan act as a deliverer of an amnesty proclamation. It's kind of like waving the white flag for the enemy, saying like, hey, let's talk about this. Mm. He suggests that Mulan does that because that tends to be scary for anybody who wants to take Mm. over the mess, you know, don't kill the messenger sort of thing. That's where that comes from. Yeah. (laughs) So he probably assumes that Mulan may like accidentally die in doing this. Mm. But she doesn't. She does deliver the message, and she's kept as a hostage. Um, But to keep Mulan at ease, uh, she's provided a a concubine slash warrior, the leader of the enemy's sister. Interesting. (laughs) So there's an enemy. There's a leader. He has a sister, and she's given to Mulan to appease her while she's a hostage. So the concubine slash warrior eventually discovers Mulan's true identity Oh, and she reveals that her intent is to actually help Mulan and to win her side of the war. So they become sworn sisters and vow to both marry the same dude that Mulan is engaged to. So the sisters go to work. Mulan escapes. The camp is sabotaged. Mulan is injured. More things happen. Mulan heals, uses magic to kill someone important, I guess. Oh, the enemy retreats into um, the Black Mountain. They call it the Black Mountain. And then a cannon, this is interesting, a cannon is built by Mulan's fiancé and is used to lure the bandits out of the mountain. And in doing so, Mulan is able to kill the the bandit leader. The war is won! Woo! (laughs) Returning home, Mulan's gender is revealed and she is given the title Chaste and Filial Lady of First Rank. 
Mulan's sworn sister is titled Loyal and Righteous Lady, and they both marry Mulan's fiance, who is appointed Minister of Personnel. This all happens in the course of 12 years. The end. But look, she doesn't die. (laughs) Not only does she not die, her female friend and her both get a title. Yeah. That's really impressive considering what we've been reading up until this point. Right? It's it's at least a positive step in the right direction. Most definitely. And the bandit leader's wife. We got to talk about her. Which one's that? So she's the one, what they said about her, the bandit leader's wife was lethal, that's what they said about her, and that she injured many high generals. And I thought that was really cool because she's a woman with equal power to Mulan and not dressed like a man and very much a wife of the bandit leader. And, you know, unfortunately, and it makes sense also that Mulan has to kill her it's too bad but it also like i said makes sense because she's of equal power and she's more of a threat to her than the bandit leader which props like that as well right and and while she's while mulan's fighting the leader himself her sister is actually like leading the bandits to surrender so not only are they working together at the same time but they're both in a in power in command of not only themselves, but of everything else that's going on around them. It was really cool. I really liked I liked it becoming more about women in war. And it always goes back to Milan's ability to be clever. And then to bring in another character and then another character who are all female and also have those skills. And Milan is not killed or committed suicide in the end. It's pretty impressive. Like, I would watch this movie. Absolutely. And you're right, I totally forgot about the wife, because I think that's what they used as a template for the witch in the current version of the Mulan Disney movies. I can see that. At the time, any female in power was probably considered witchy, and I'm I'm sure they didn't even use magic, but that's what they called them anyway. Because even Mulan had to convince all of these soldiers that she had some type of magic, which she didn't. It was just her cleverness to try to convince them that she did, and to frighten them using that concept. You go, girl. I'm pretty sure this is what they, this is the formula for the 2019 witch character of Disney's Mulan. Well, they messed that up real bad. And she was such a minor character. It's more about Mulan and her sworn sister. That's more fascinating than this weird witch thing that doesn't really do much. I mean, it's great to have her there in the novel, but that's a novel. Don't get me wrong. Novels, you have time to read, okay? (laughs) There's room for them on the page. (laughs) Yeah, and there's an aspect of it in the novel, even though it's just sort of a summary, that it it feels like the leader's wife has earned it. She's earned being lethal. And she's learned, I mean, she's earned having a status, marrying or being married to the bandit leader isn't inherently given to her. She's still her character on her own, not being a, quote, wife. She's part of their cause, and that's not a kind of empowerment that you see of the witch character in the Disney film. She has that ability, as we've seen. Like, she can be in power, but the way they've written her and her role in the plot makes her disempowered. Yeah. A, a victim of society. Whereas in, in this novel, it's really awesome to see a woman who is independent, 
and also kind of a bad guy. Like, that's acceptable. I love it. And if Mulan, there were so many ways to mess this up. Like, if Mulan only killed the wife and didn't kill the main dude and somebody else did, I'd have a problem, you know, because then it's right. like, oh, she can only kill the wife. But every time, like, I expect it, and or, like, the, the female friend, the sister, if she were, like, to die to, like, make Mulan go off and do her thing, I would have had a problem with it. But everybody kind of stays empowered, and I do not like the fact that they both married the same dude, but that's <laughs> my own problem. I mean, I just, I don't, I know people are polyamorous and people believe in that, but for me, it, it was unnecessary. She didn't need to marry him. You know, it wasn't even that he had two women that he married, but the fact that she got married at all. But I get it. If it's a romance and that's what people want, fine. Everything else <laughs> really worked in terms of feeling contemporary. And this was 1850. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. There's some advantages and disadvantages to having the romance aspect. But out of all of the romantic interests or marriage interests, I mean, depending on which version you're reading, I feel like this guy is the most progressive because Mulan starts off choosing her father over her fiancé. To go to war in her father's place while she's engaged would have been a huge no-no. And the fiancé had every right to just disown her. And Mulan would have no future when she came back home. Instead, he's impressed by it. If anything, he becomes more bashful around her because she's so empowered. Super cute. Love it. Right. I love that concept. And I love that he's integrated in the war as well, that he's the one that designs and initiates the cannons, for example, is a very fascinating detail, not only because cannons weren't created yet in that time period, but I mean, what an interesting reprise because the war so far has just been advance retreat, advance retreat. So they're stuck here as the enemy is hidden in the mountains and all of the stuff has happened and Mulan's fiance shows up. He knows who Mulan is. Nobody else does. She's still in disguise. And knowing that she's there, he's like really nervous. I mean, because he's proud of her and she's been injured and she's trying to heal and he already knows that she's accomplished all these things. And here he is being asked to build this thing while she's around. So it's like this bond that wasn't there before. And it feels like there as far as romance goes that there is some development there absolutely and meanwhile she has this great secondary sister character who, who's helping her win the war i mean they're planning all these these things together and it's working obviously and the last piece of the puzzle is for the fiance to build this cannon that's going to bring them out of the mountain you know so it's like this trio that's working together and you're right the romance part isn't always cathartic for everybody but it's better than it was Oh, yeah. By far. Yeah. I Yeah, I completely agree. It's nice to see a character like that. And I also like that he's sort of on level with them because he's not using brawn. He's using brains. And that he's not necessarily the tactician. He He's more of the engineer in this situation. So there there is sort of like a... There's no like overbearing masculine presence with him where he's like you will go do this wife and then i will do that you know it's more like okay so i designed this cannon <laughs> what do i do with it <laughs> you know like you said the trio kind of putting it together and and executing it as a team is beautiful yes and it, maybe it's sexist to think it but i feel like that is more of a female thing 
I, I can buy into this because I can see women coming together with men that are like this and doing these things as a team, not as some alpha male. That's my fantasy novel right there. <laughs> is a war commanded by women and it's the men on both sides that are being the inventors or I mean don't get me wrong there could be female inventors in there too but they're like secondary (laughs) (laughs) taking out the orders from their female commanders that's my fantasy version yeah because that's not something we've seen isn't that crazy how long have humans been alive (laughs) and we still have not seen I would say a widespread or a well-known version of that Totally. I mean, I think of, like, Temescura from Wonder Woman, but there are no men in that society. They just, like, remove the men completely, and it kind of ruins the whole idea behind it, in my opinion, because it's not about separation. It's about balancing both parties and being everybody having power of themselves and in society and all that bullshit, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. This also... I wonder if the Chinese made live action film pulled this relationship. Oh. Because I get those same kind of like, we're in the war together buddies, but it's it's not quite as... Mm, I don't... Like in the other film we watched, the one recently, where like you can feel that they're like tense around each other because they both like are attracted to each other like in this one it's more like they get to know one another as people because he thinks she's a dude and then something develops later yes agreed so after the original disney in america chinese did a live action film and this is the one jen is referring to and it did feel more of like a a grand drama and it had a lot of these aspects to it didn't it I really enjoyed that version. I highly recommend it. Totally. And we'll talk about that movie in the next episode for sure. Yeah. But I have a feeling you're right. I bet you the creators looked heavily into this novel particularly. Oh, actually, and because you said that, one of the details that one of the commenters pointed out was that Mulan is repeatedly traumatized by the cruelty of the warfare, but she refuses to suppress her tender side um, and become a hardened warrior. And I think that was sort of apparent in the live action as well, is that she yeah. she felt all this emotion. Although in the movie, she does kind of harden, doesn't she? But that's like part of the story, right? I mean, I feel like that's highlighting that aspect. Yeah, yeah. Good point. But yeah, I love that too, because it's not a replacement. It's not like, did I do that? Was it the man in me or was it me as a woman dressed as, you know, it's just like, yeah, I'm a whole person. Thanks. I have emotions, yes, but I also can lead. Thank you very much. Yes, agreed. It's not rocket surgery. It's not rocket surgery. I love Mm it. (laughs) And that's a great message to leave off with. After she's revealed as a woman, she has a title. It's not just returning home, even though she she does get married. She gets to keep a title this time. Prestige and her life is great as well. And her friend. And her friend and her fiancé, everybody's rewarded for being individuals, which we haven't seen that much yet, right? Yes, exactly, yes. So that's a great indication that the evolution of Mulan is nearly to modern time. The next episode, we're going to be talking about, you know, how she switched completely from this filial daughter to a feminist. 
which yeah. is about time. This is the good transition. This is the time for that. And it only takes a century. <laughs> and honestly, I mean, we again, we haven't read this novel, but this feels more feminist than the newest Disney version in a lot of ways. Oh my gosh, you're right. It does. That goes to show something. I don't know what, but it's something. <laughs> right, right. And in terms of history, there's a lot of communist activity that's going to happen next in China. And a lot of that's good for women because there's a lot of female liberal movements happening where Mulan is a source of comfort and a source of inspiration. Inspiration. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> for those movements, which mm. is important because that's going to make her shift from the filial daughter to a to a feminist warrior. Yeah. There's I have a book about female warriors in television and film. I hope at some point we can crack into that book and check it out because I feel like Mulan is one of our oldest examples of the female warrior. Oh my gosh, that's going to be so exciting. I yeah. can't wait. <laughs> so hopefully that gives us a perspective of where Mulan began, where she is now. I agree. The historical context is really important. And even something as simple as sedentary establishment walled in community versus the nomads i think is really important to understand like the dynamics of what's happening um motivation for sure stay tuned for movie <laughs> talk <laughs> so next episode we are going to be talking about the films and television representations of mulan and any other things that we probably forgot to talk about here <laughs> yeah so if you have questions we'll answer them in the next episode yes tweet us or facebook us and we will answer your questions hopefully i mean i don't know maybe not um but thank you for listening and we'll see you next time 